Oh yeah, you took that ball. That's right. <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Kapow! Mm-hmm. And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. Aloha. That's right. Barrett went to the uh, sunny islands of Ho, oh, I mean, Florida. um where where you do all that aloha and shit like that right that's where you see that that's like yeah i'm doing the hula dance what what are you doing no she says it's the luau no because she's doing the hula dance she's calling it the luau (laughs) (laughs) luau. he's like what are you what are you doing back there oh the luau yeah Uh, who's angry about some stuff that they want to get off their chest? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills! I'm as mad as hell! You've never seen me very upset. You are, motherfucker! You are, my friend. I guess this is a sort of a, a, a podcast marking type of thing, and when we have a historical type of uh, uh, thing that happens, when we had a, a, a bombing in downtown Nashville... And it was apparently just the one guy, and and uh, we still don't even know like what his motivations were, really. Uh, I know probably the least of the three of you about this, because I wasn't really paying attention at Christmas. Had to leave town for a little bit. Um, I am baffled by this story, and I think that kind of ties into what you were wanted to say about it, Chris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, first thing, um, you know, I, I did not hear the bombing, did not hear the blast. A lot of people, I'd heard some reports on the news early on that people as far as Brentwood heard it. And I'm like, fuck you. You did not. (laughs) Um, yeah. And, (laughs) and, uh, you lady, the talk of the news. That's right. right. (laughs) Totally lying whore. But, um, it was a, I, I woke up at six fifteen, so it was like 15 minutes before it happened wow. and everything. So I was feeding cats and all that. And then I got a text from my mom about an hour later saying, when are you, when like, I asked her, asked her when, are, when are you expecting me to come over and all that? Because we're doing a Christmas thing. And she goes, Oh, uh, you know, 11 or so. And then she says, what did he's like? Did you, did you feel the explosion or hear the explosion? And I was like, what explosion? Cause I had not heard of the news or anything. Um, and so, so yeah, it, uh, it was around six 30 guy took an RV down to like, uh, I'm still a little shaky on where he was too, because they keep showing the like footage. And I'm like, that looks like straight up second Avenue is where that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, then they're like, they parked it next to the AT and T building. And I'm like, well, that's Uh-oh. not, it's a different AT&T building. Yeah, it's oh, not the, the okay. big AT&T. It's, it's the, the server, server building. building. Yeah. The yeah. server building. So they keep saying the AT&T building, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah. That's yeah, not I had the same thing. problem. Um, so uh, anyway, the, the main thing about the rant here is that 
uh, I don't think anybody remembers what it was like. And this, and this bombing certainly wasn't anything to the scale of a nine 11, but I don't think anybody realizes what it was like on nine 11. They don't remember in those early hours before everybody knew everything. Do you remember those early hours? Mm-hmm. Do you oh, yeah. remember oh, yeah. all the reports that were coming out during that time? Yep. There were all sorts of wrong things happening. Yep. The same thing could go for Columbine as well. Exactly. Columbine exactly. was another one uh, that there were a lot of wrong things coming out. And we, we accept these things as truths. And then we have to be un we have to unlearn that type of thing. Um, but it's hard for a lot of people because they've heard that first. And now they've moved on to like, well, this is what I heard. And, and what, what you're saying that didn't happen now. Well, how do you know? we don't know anything when things like this happen. We don't, we still don't. And it's like been, it's four days later. We still Mm -hmm. don't know uh, what this guy's motivation was, what he was wanted to accomplish out of this uh, or anything, but people will get on Twitter and they will say to their hundreds of thousands of followers that they believe that it was, Oh, it's a Trump supporter or it's a black lives matter, or it's uh, all this, you know, these different, organizations and it's like you don't fucking know mm-hmm. what the what the motivation is until we actually have an investigation and then you know of course then we get the galaxy brain bullshit where it's like well the fbi is not telling you what actually happened and blah 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 i'm i don't live in that world sorry i'm never gonna live in that world um oh there's a whole chunk of them that are absolutely convinced it was a missile attack um yeah. Yeah. And I'm never going to live in that world either. No. Um, Yeah. I mean, you know, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, The, 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 it's just that we have to wait until the story is done the way the investigation carries out and then get the sort of the official, uh, the official stuff, uh, the official story. And then we go, all right, that's what happened there. But, But when we do this 24 hour news cycle thing, where we're trying to, speculate on what happened even uh, i even feel bad about what we were kind of kind of kind of discussing amongst ourselves at at one point because even though we didn't know and we were just kind of speculating it's still out there those little well it may have been this he may have been trying to do this and he may have it's it's it means that people get that narrative and they start running with it and they can never get out of that narrative and it's the reason why we can't it's the reason why we can't get like honest news stories really anymore is because the, the first thing that comes out is the first thing that people. Yeah. There's uh, a dude in Madison who has a similar name to this guy and the internet just decided it was him posted a picture from his wife's Facebook, him and his wife and kids. He was interviewed on the news this morning. They got hate and death threats and, uh, all this stuff, and he's not even the right guy. And the only reason that happens is the rush to be first to get it right. And so, for the longest time, there was like, well, there's no pictures of this guy. There's no pictures of this guy. And then it became, I'm going to be the first to find a picture of this Anthony Warner. And they find this guy named Tony Warner in Madison, Tennessee, completely unrelated dude, and ruin his life. <laughs> and it you can't it's like i was watching a bit of doubt the other day but it's like that sermon uh philip seymour hoffman gives about gossip where the priest makes the woman go 
cut her pillow on the roof and he says what happens and she's like feathers everywhere he's like well go gather them all back up she's like that's impossible and he's like that is gossip like you can't (laughs) you can't undo it uh once you put it out there even the boston bombing the internet identified the wrong guy and ruined Mm -hmm. the life for about two or three weeks got that guy got death threats um yeah it's just and honestly this didn't happen so much it, it happened when it was just the news networks trying to scoop each other. But now that there's social media and it's just citizens trying to scoop each other, it's just off the charts. It's just, it's really, really scary sometimes. What you just said there is the biggest danger is these people who are misidentified uh, as the as the perpetrator, even though we still don't know everything about the perpetrator and everything. They like just, uh, you know, that when. If the person, if that person really is the person, then the cops are going to come and do his door and they're going to jail him and they're going to go through all the process. There's no need if for you to be, to play hero here, uh, you know, and give that guy death threats or whatever. And like, I can't only imagine what stories these people tell, like I called that guy and I told him what for and blah, yeah. blah, blah. And it's like, you know, go fuck yourself. You don't have any, I mean, there's no, there's no glory to be had out of all of that. And, uh, but like, that's the thing that scares me the most. Like the, the recently, this is, this doesn't have anything to do with the, the bombing, but I was recently given, a a like a court summons thing, uh, a few months ago that identified Chris Atkinson and, uh, and it went through this whole story about how Chris Atkinson lent his daughter, which is that's wrong one. Uh, uh, a whatever whatever the car was it was like a honda civic wrong number two um and uh and then uh his daughter uh drove a high rate of speed in this neighborhood and caused a big huge accident and everything and and so like so this this lawsuit was was like you know naming me and saying this this person is also responsible for all this and everything and after like a day's worth of like trying to figure out what the fuck I had to do about this, because none of the information was right. In fact, the date was odd. It was so weird. It was like, it was like within days of me coming back from New York to Nashville. Oh that's, yeah. that's right. <laughs> It was crazy. within days. That's how crazy it was. Um, uh, you know, I, after thinking about that for a long time, I finally was just like, I guess I can just call this lawyer and say, you got the wrong dude. And, and, and I did, I called him and he said, Oh yeah, well, yeah. I mean, if you're the wrong guy, I mean, we'll have to, and, and, uh, you <laughs> there know, we go. and, and, uh, and, uh, and I was like, yeah. And I didn't hear anything about it again. Thank God. But like that type of thing can just happen. And you can yeah. be like in this situation, where you were like doing nothing and because of some like, you know, some name being thrown out there that didn't need to be thrown out there, you're suddenly in a whole whole world of trouble and there are a bunch of people who want to get at you. And Uh, I should point out the Nashville cops, I watched almost all their press conferences and they were very careful not to give out details. mm -hmm. But CNN and CBS had sources in the FBI, people... In the investigation, who fed them the name and then fed them the address, 
And so I'm seeing on Twitter, CNN is saying that the bomber's name was Anthony Quinn Warner. And I watched a press conference 15 minutes later, and the Nashville cops refused to name the person. They Mm -hmm. even asked, and they were like, we're not naming anybody right now. And so it's really the fault of those handful of people on the inside who are feeding this information to the news outlets. And then it's the fault of the idiots on Twitter who are like, that's the name of the guy? I'm going to go find his picture. I'm going to find Facebook. I'm going to find his Twitter. I'm curious about that because this is seemingly unrelated, but I think it is related. On the way down here, we, uh, my son watched The Martian on the, the DVD player. Yeah. And I was listening to it. Uh, we listened to the entire thing. It's, it's, it's both frustrating and exhilarating to listen to because the first part is almost dialogue free when he's doing all that shit in the hab yeah. and like around all that. I'm like, what is he doing now? Hey, wait, is this where he's he's doing it? He's he's making the fire and all that. Okay, but um, the the care the first time I watched that the care that both uh, Jeff Daniels' character and Kristen Wiig's character take to keep the information from the public seems villainous at first, right? Mackenzie Davis is just like everybody should see this, and yeah. so is so is uh, Vincent Kapoor. But these guys are doing this so that the public, and this was, what, five years ago? Six years ago now. Um, This is so the public does not react like it's reacting right now. Like, I know exactly where Mark Watney is right now, and I Mm -hmm. know that he's alive, and I know that they definitely left him there on purpose, and we're trying to colonize Mars and bullshit like that. Like, I can only imagine the maneuvering that's going on in 2021 now versus back in 2015 in those organizational things, making sure there's no leaks out and that kind of thing. Uh, it's because the press is a problem. These leakers are a problem. The Internet users are a problem. But, man, you got to be super fucking careful as one of these agencies, be it local or national, that you keep everything as either Lucius Fox or Christian Bale says close to the vest. Close to the chest. Yeah. Chest or vest. Uh, you know, so these leaks don't get out and then that wildfire starts, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the main thing is just look at any story that any big story over the past history and look at how the story unfolded. Uh, you know, some of this might be, might be tough for you get some of you to, to go back to, and I wouldn't tell you to go back to watch something traumatic, but, uh, you know, if, if you have the stomach to watch the, the footage, those first five hours of nine 11 and all that, the way the, the news was covering it and everything, uh, just listen to what kind of bullshit is going on that, that thing. Now, now that you're 20 years later or so, you know, you sit there and go, well, they really got a lot of things wrong there in those mm-hmm. hours after the, the incident happened. I wonder why that happened. Cause a lot of it's. Driven by the business model, too, right? Once you have an event like this and the local stations go 24-hour news, right? There's there's information, information, then a huge lull. And so what do they do? They start calling former military people who defused bombs to get them to speculate because they want to keep your eyeballs. They want to keep you mm-hmm. on that station because they're making bank right now. Uh, yeah. It's just the whole the whole system is kind of to blame for why this happens. But I agree that it's fucked up for sure. Yeah. So anyway, uh, natural bombing, we still don't know everything. We, you know, uh, maybe we'll find out. We may not find out. That's the thing. We may not find out what the reason. Yeah. What, 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 if he's a, if he's a believer in a certain conspiracy theory about a certain technology, 
does that really make any difference about what the aftermath is, how it affects our community, that kind of thing? Uh, it's just one of those things where we have to move on from it, uh, learn all that we can from it, and uh, shut the fuck up until the information comes yeah. out. Yep. Exactly. Give us, yep. give us actionable, actionable information, and then you know, uh, we uh, not, none, none of this. It might be, or it could be, or any of this type of thing. You know, just uh, wait till the story's over. I tell you what, though, one thing before we move off of this was that not one of the weirdest stories that you've ever heard? Like every little part of that, the timing, the mm-hmm. countdown, the music, the RV everything got progressively weirder as I was watching. I didn't watch a whole lot of news footage because it was Christmas day. I had family. Yeah. Uh, very little family, by the way, you know, I'm uh, very careful. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was just like what there was, there was music. There was a downtown by Petula Clark. There was yeah. a countdown. Like what, what is this? Like there was nobody you, around. You know, it's one of those, stranger than fiction things if there, if there was a movie that showed you this and there will be now but if there was a movie yeah. that showed you this you wouldn't you wouldn't buy it it would seem too unreal yeah um and um i think that only drove some of the speculating that was going on because it was so weird yeah because first it was just the bombing and then it was wait there was a countdown and then they confirmed the countdown was coming from the rv and then the next day i learned about the song and i'm like what the Fuck. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. <clears throat> uh, I think that ma- that made people more curious. Makes people more curious to understand why. But you know, we'll find out eventually. We don't need. And to I do want to thank all the people that asked us if we were okay. Same thing mm-hmm. happened after the tornadoes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Multiple yeah. tornadoes after this, this 2020. Yeah. Uh, thank you, everybody that that checks in both text and Twitter and and all that stuff. You're too kind. We're all good. Agreed. All right. Who else? All right. Well, I have a very serious rant. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. One of the ways that this virus spreads <clears throat> is when people open their mouths and expel things like words, music notes, coughs, sneezes, laughs, what have you, right? This is the single biggest transmission mode is by opening your mouth and letting something come out of it. <clears throat> So why are we still following all of the social scripts that we used to follow before the pandemic? Why does the cashier at the grocery store have to ask me still, did you find everything okay today, sir? How are you doing today, sir? I, I understand the politeness. I understand where it comes from. But now of all times, stop fucking talking to me. This is fascinating to me. (laughs) This is so fascinating to me. But this is the biggest way that you transmit the disease. You're right. You're absolutely right. If I couldn't find everything okay, first of all, it's ridiculous that you're forced to say this to me pre-pandemic. Because if I didn't find everything okay, I'm a grown-up. I will find somebody and ask them where that shit is. (laughs) (laughs) Now that you asked, by the way. No, I I didn't. I only got half of what I wanted. I wanted twice as much of this, but I couldn't find it. Uh, I don't know what they're asking me for. And then again, specific to Publix, they force all of their baggers to assume I want them to help me with the groceries. So whenever yeah. the whenever my transaction is done and I turn to the cart, they always speak to me. Can I help you out to your cart today, sir? No. And you can shut your mouth. 
I don't need your 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 whatever the droplets out there in the air that may or may not have COVID in them. I got a there theory are, about those baggers, man. I think they want to. I think they. I know the public yeah. tells they, them so they can get out of there for a minute, so they don't have to keep bagging groceries because they'll have to bag the next person's groceries, and they're just like, my God, oh, it's great. But you know what? You they never are see cool. them in a hurry. <clears throat> you never see them in a hurry to like take those out or get the carts. But back. still, yeah. I mean. Why don't you make a mask for the baggers that said, can I help you out to your cart and put a mask on the check cashier that says, did you find everything okay today, sir? Tell me if not. And we can yeah. stop saying unnecessary words during this time where the disease is transmitted by saying words. Mm-hmm. I totally get you. Yeah. That's so bizarre. I, I tell you why it's so bizarre. I have an anecdote that okay. happened that happened 24 hours ago. Okay. All right. I go to Publix, a different Publix as you. Right. Uh, I go to Publix to get some supplies, some some uh, vittles. I get up to the thing. Now, my local Publix is very good at uh, enforcing the mask policy. That's why I feel the most comfortable going to that. First, you know, it's it's also very open and very wide. Um, this Publix that I went to yesterday. I saw some fucking yahoos, more than a dozen yahoos without masks and without any social repercussions. You, you see it where you're at, uh, you know, locally for us. Usually if there's one or two non-mask wearers, you'll get some stink eyes. And I hope so. And just, it's coming from me. They're both coming from me and several other people. These people, I saw no stink. I saw no stink eyes. I saw no evil eyes. <laughs> and I was like, and yes, I got up. To the cashier, I saw two or three or four as they were bagging. Didn't talk during the bagging. Uh, they were coming by, and I was like, I was shaking my head. I gave them all the stink eye, and I was like, "What? What do you guys do when you see these these non-maskers? Because you're in here twelve, you know, not eight, eight hours a day or something like that. What do you do when you see that? Do you shake your head? Do you give them the stink eye, that kind of thing? And they said, "We're not allowed to do that." And I said, seriously? And uh, we go into this conversation, and uh, there's the, the bagging girl was saying, well, there was a story about how there, the, somebody came back after somebody shamed their anti-mask and killed the person. And I was like, holy shit. And then I get out in the parking lot. Story doesn't end there. So get out in the parking lot. My wife, who was with me, says, why'd you do all that? And I said, "What? Well, I, I, I was wondering. I was. I'm on their side. I'm. I'm asking them how they react to all these non-maskers that come in here." And she's like, first of all, you expelled air droplets by having that fucking conversation <laughs> in the first place. <laughs> Second of all, you put them in an awkward situation. Third of all, you. They told a story that terrified our son. Now he's going to have fucking nightmares. She didn't say fucking because she's an angel. Life for the win, but but it's it's bizarre because you and she, Jeremy, are correct. I should not have done that. I was curious because if I were, I wanted to show solidarity with these people. I wanted to say, like, man, I'm so sorry that you have to deal with these people, but I was part of the problem. And and my wife called me out on it in the parking lot. That's all. Awesome. Wait until we got into the van. I was like, oh, you're right. It reminds me of that. Uh... That Hannibal Burris thing, I won't be able to do justice to it, but he was, he's like, I got pulled over for speeding. And, uh, the guy was like, why were, you know, why were you speeding? And he's like, because this car is awesome. And, uh, 
<laughs> and uh and uh so like he's like he's like look the dude did we really have to do all of this? Like, it's like, come on, officer, you had to speed up to catch up to me. So you're doing the exact same thing that I was doing. Why don't you, <laughs> she's trying to say something to the effect of don't do the same thing that I was doing just so that you can pull me over and tell me, don't do that. You know, <laughs> but just, you pull me over and just say, don't do that. Basically is what you said. It's like, we're doing, you're, you're, you're just as bad as I am. Uh, boy, that's a, that's a timely rant and I, I, I and you're you're absolutely right um and i'm going to stop i'm going to change my behavior i'm still going to give stink eyes man i'm going to stink the fuck out of that place mm-hmm. anytime mm-hmm. i see mm-hmm. the dumbass wearing not wearing mask but i'm going to stop i'm going to shut my fucking mouth <laughs> <laughs> i'm not going to now is your rant over jeremy i'm done baby <clears throat> speaking of grocery stores I am baffled about this whole thing. I'll try to keep it short. Okay. So we all know about the toilet paper shortage Mm -hmm. at at the beginning of this pandemic. For whatever reason, people thought they were going to shit their brains out and they needed to get the toilet paper uh, hoarded. God knows how much they, they hoarded back in those days in March, April, that kind of thing. Same thing goes for hand sanitizer, which is now, of course, readily available everywhere. Uh, so much so that people are putting gobs of it in their hands and just throwing it around uh, willy-nilly. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I saw a sanitizer fight the other day, actually. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> a slap a, fight just with sanitizer so they could yeah. do it like nice and, nice and uh, clean. It's hard uh, to walk down the sidewalk without getting uh, into a Purell shower because yeah. <laughs> everybody's doing that type okay. of Okay, but then, as you probably you people probably noticed, I noticed weird things going missing. In the grocery store, I noticed there was a run on seltzer for like a month. I could not find seltzer. I like me some seltzer. Never had a problem getting seltzer. There's different types of it. I usually get the discount thing because the same fucking thing as LaCroix or LaCroix, whatever the fuck you want to call it. So, uh, you know, that went on for a little bit. There's little things there. there oh, which do I do first? Okay. There's there's a Bucatini story, uh, uh, a shortage that just came out uh, a few days ago on uh, grubstreet.com and it was circulated by all these chefs now bucatini if you didn't know spaghetti essentially with a little hole in it it does really well with pasta sauces it fills very nicely it's sexy that kind of thing uh but there's a there's a shortage on bucatini and there was an investigative journalist that went to the bottom of it and it's a hilarious read i'll try to put it in the show notes anyway weird things so my mom on the way by the time you listen to this, I'll be back from Florida, so don't come stalk me. Um, but my mom on the way down here said, called me and said, hey, can you get me some Old Bay seasoning? Like, you, you guys ever use Old Bay? It's uh, used on steamed crabs and stuff yes. like that. Uh, crawfish, boiled shrimp bowls, and stuff like that. Um, and I was like, yeah, i get you some crab. Well, I was like, why? She said, you can't find any of it up in uh, Nashville. And I was like, that's a weird thing to, to go missing. I was like, fine, you know, they're bound to have it in Florida. So we go get some crabs and uh, get some crab boil. And I was like, oh, let's get some Old Bay uh, for mom. No Old Bay down here. Hmm. Why is Old Bay missing from the shelves? Why are random things missing from the shelves? Is it just because there's one ingredient Mm -hmm. in each of these things that causes some sort of shortage? Can they not compensate for that ingredient in another way? Uh, the Bucatini story, which I don't know if either of you read, involved some sort of FDA kerfuffle. Like, 
what what is happening is it i have to imagine that even if there is an ingredient or something like that there's a shortage it's also a human behavioral thing where there's a run on something right or or no. do you think i'm wrong do you think it's no. a manufacturing problem well okay so i was searching for two cereals for my wife uh from april to i think it was november before either one of them reappeared grape nut flakes and all brand flakes, uh, and huh. they were both they were both out, and uh, eventually both stores, uh, Kroger and Publix, put tags up that said "manufacturer production issue." Um, so my suspicion there is there is some measure of ingredient um, that in their production line had had a run on it, like toilet paper, or what have you. I know specifically with drinks that there was there was a run uh, shortage of aluminum for cans. And so the major soft drink companies uh, have been uh, making cans of their fringe flavors less and less and focusing more on their main, most popular flavors. And so, mm. for instance, my wife likes Fresca. and We, weren't able, we haven't been able to find Fresca in cans for months uh, because Coke isn't, isn't making it in cans anymore. They're using their cans for Coke and shit that people buy more readily. Um, and so I do think it is largely... Now, granted, the toilet paper and shit ran out because of human behavior. Oh, shit, we're going to run out. We got to go get it. That first wave where all the frozen veggies were gone and, um, you know, all the frozen meat was gone. And the pastas at that, that point. That was behavioral. That was panic buying. Um, but then the, the shortages that have persisted are more about production issues where some ingredient. And I'll, again, some of this is import-export during a time of pandemic where certain countries aren't we're not accepting things from certain countries that have yada, yada. We're not shipping as much from two other countries because people are sick and whatnot. I think it's just production shortages. But I yeah, see. I'm All right. So maybe we with, solved this mystery. <laughs> noticing this with the cat food, even really like, stuff that just didn't make any sense. Like, why is this? Why have every time I go to PetSmart, they don't have this one thing anymore. Like it just doesn't make any sense. Um, and at first I thought it was, well, maybe it's like the ingredients of that thing that they're having a hard time. Like it was like a, a backyard cookout, uh, temptation, uh, <laughs> food or whatever. And, was, and, and it, and it was specifically this one size and, but they had all the smaller size, but they'd never get that bigger size in, like for some mm. reason. So I never understood what that was. And it was either they were, it was because they're using, it could be something like you were talking about, like they're using that plastic bottle for more chicken flavor, uh, stuff that's more popular or whatever. My cats love the backyard cookout ones, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't have backyards anymore. Well, we yeah. Get backyard. yeah. So yeah, wow. that's a, that is a, that is a, that's a, one of those hidden things. It would be nice to, to know a lot of times, but you know, I mean, there's there's so many millions of products with all their different. Uh, who could who could pop, possibly keep up with it at all? With it all, you know, like uh, bizarre. Yeah. It's bizarre, especially yeah. the ones that I really want at a specific time. Like, I really need Old Bay to season my crabs. Nope, fuck you. You need Salt Bay. I need Salt, salt Bay. bay. Yeah, I'm gonna Salt Bay your ass. <laughs> I need to import the guy to do the thing. <laughs> all right well my rant is over you killed my rant but i'm glad you did because it answered a question but the bucatini (laughs) thing by the way goes deeper than you think you should read that article especially jeremy 
I just mm. want to eat that pasta after I looked at a picture of it. That pasta is dope. You've eaten it at uh, um, fancy restaurants, I'm sure. I don't know. I don't know if I don't think I've ever had a cylinder pasta with a hole in the middle. Oh, it's fucking amazing. <laughs> My God. wife doesn't like that. My wife just likes noodles, but I'm all I'm all about the penne and the ro- oh, no. rotini is... and anything that can let me put shit inside the pasta. Correct. It, that's why it's so sexy. You're you're penetrating the pasta. It's not like penne where it's a big hole that you can't even fit into. Sometimes mm-hmm. this is a small <laughs> hole that you have to really work to get in there. I'm glad you guys can't once see you the did blades. once you do. Because it's got it's got the outside coverage, and then it's up in there, and then it twirls. Oh, it's so good. So today we're going to have a little bit of a different uh, discussion. Uh, we mm. uh, uh, think uh, Jeremy uh, came to us with this possibility of a of a podcast topic, and uh, talk about different uh, movies with uh, with great lighting that we admire. Ooh, um, uh, you know, I I um. I'm sure that uh, you know we won't uh, we won't <laughs> we won't have the broad spectrum of, of of the best lighting of all time in this or anything, uh, and there and there will be scenes that people think of that are like, well, I'm surprised you didn't bring this up or whatever. And it's like, well, this is our list. This is yeah. our one. We know that we life. know that Shadow of Doubt and Diabolique. And pretty much every Hitchcock movie has perfect lighting. We know that mm-hmm. a lot of the Orson Welles stuff, even though we're going to talk about some of that, has amazing lights. Uh, Billy Wilder has amazing lighting, especially Sunset Boulevard. He did Sunset yeah. Boulevard, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, with the uh, um, the downward lighting on uh, the main character there. But uh, we're going to do more favorites than, say, a traditional best. And I am certain as well that – uh, given more time to think about this, uh, I would probably come up with others that I, you know, the, Oh, I should have said that, it's, you know, smack my head or it's my, you know, whatever. But like, um, uh, these are the ones that came to mind for all of us, I believe. And so, uh, who wants to sort of start us off? I'll start. Um, and I think this could be a recurring topic again. It's like heart of the movie for me. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, like obviously Blade Runner twenty. 20- 48 or whatever the fuck has amazing lighting all the way throughout. I, I was specifically motivated to create this topic when I was watching the movie sneakers. Uh, and you know, mm. it's not, it's first of all, it's a, fan, a friend of the show, the movie sneakers, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. not a movie that if you said, Oh, what is the movie that has outstanding lighting I'd immediately go, Oh, sneakers. No. Um, but there's this one moment when, Robert Redford goes to the Russian consulate to talk to his basically Russian counterpart, former spy guy slash friend. They go down into the pool room because Robert Redford thinks that this guy has basically uh, leaked who his real identity is. And that's how he got jumped or no, he's not. He gets jumped later, Uh, but somebody uh, leaked his identity and um, he thinks it's this Russian guy, but the Russian guy's like, no, we couldn't even use the box. Lord knows I wanted that box. But your code systems are entirely different from ours. We'd never be able to use that box to crack your codes, which is kind of a key little little, little flash like foreshadowing there. Anyway, um, so the, it's dark in this pool room, and the Russian guy is like, what I say to you now, I cannot say to you in this building. Come, Marty. And he takes a couple steps away, and, and Robert Redford hesitates. And the Russian guy steps closer and reaches out his hand and says, 
You must trust me. But when he steps forward, his face goes from the light into complete shadow. Mm -hmm. So while he's extending a hand and saying, you must trust me, the lighting is saying he can't completely trust this guy. And it's just a perfect way to underscore the relationship between these two guys and a little bit of foreshadowing about what happens next. But that had never stood out to me before when watching that until this most recent time. And I was like, Oh, he's completely shadowed when he says, trust me. That's awesome. So that was the inspiration for this topic that I uh, hope. Well, so, the, recurring. so the 78th time that you watch this, you, yes. you got that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. well, let's not forget the whole scene too, where they, they take him uh, on that, you know, the, they hit him over the head and they put him in the trunk and they put yep. him, they take him to the what is the the toy company or whatever in his office, and that whole that whole scene with him and Ben Kingsley uh, during that is is got this lighting to it yep. that's just you know it's out of this world. It puts you in a different place. Um, uh, yeah, I really like that. And but when you said sneakers, that was the first thing I thought of was that yeah. scene that you brought up. Yeah, uh, because that's a that is a great scene for sure. And I think a lot of the best lighting tends to do that, right? Where they put a character in shadow. It's sort Mm -hmm. of a, uh, sort of a symbolism foreshadowing type of thing where you see that, uh, you know, and, and, and when the character goes from the shadow to the light is important and, uh, and vice versa and whatever. But yes, we all have several of these. So do we want to do a round Robin or yeah, that's what I was going to suggest. Let's let's each do one and come back around. Let's do it. All right. Um, the one that I came up with first was fight club. Um, nice. Uh, there's something about fight clubs lighting, especially all the dingy places that they go to, uh, that really blends in with the sort of the insomnia that Edward Norton is experiencing at the same time. But, uh, think about all these little places that they go to the convenience stores just is just, uh, is swathed in darkness except for street lights. Uh, the projection booth, uh, the the actual club in the basement, the actual fight club in the basement, and everything. Mm-hmm. The when they when they do that project mayhem thing, and the and the big huge ball is rolling down the stairwell, and everything. Everything is lit, just just grungy enough uh, to get you into that world. And uh, and uh, I I really really love how Fight Club is. Of course, the cinematography is is uh, fantastic too in Fight Club. Uh, but uh, but yeah, the lighting in Fight Club stands out to me. Awesome. You ever been to one of those uh, self help meetings? Like even just with a friend, or just like happened upon them, or when you were at church or anything like that? It's uh, weird. Yeah, that, I've, uh, I've actually been to one of those. I went to a, I went with a friend to an AA once. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Uh, now, from my recollection, was it super like uh, fluorescent lighting, or was it super dim? Uh, I think fluorescent lighting. I think it was just your regular. I think it normally is, and mm-hmm. and it's so weird that in Fight Club, in particular, when he goes to you know Bob has bitch tits and all that stuff, right, the right. testicular cancer, it's in this giant gymnasium that's completely dark except for right over the circle. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, no, they would have all that shit on because yeah. it's it's weirdly like expository to have all this this confessional stuff out there with this harsh lighting, but the way Fincher do, or Fincher's uh, team does it, we should say that the lighting coordinators and like all the, 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 uh, 
the behind the scenes techs uh, do this probably more than the directors, but I'm sure the directors have a lot of input on this mm-hmm. too. Yeah, sure. Uh, the first thing that came to to mind for me uh, was the the remake of Suspiria, the Luca Guadagnino yeah. uh, mm-hmm. version, 2018, because uh, the original 1977 one it was hailed for its use of color and its use for lighting, uh, but this one just killed me now the the color is fantastic in this movie mm-hmm. the lighting in particular in the dance scenes is really where you get some some heavy lifting uh particularly in the volk performance jeremy have you seen this yet have you seen the the remake no. all right yeah i know it's it's a little on the grossy side for your taste but um it's it's amazing it's amazing to watch and i've watched it now probably six or seven times the first dance is uh, is shielded because uh, it's it's basically a tryout for Dakota Johnson's character, even though she's tried out and she's made this with this uh, amazing uh, ballet troupe. Uh, they're saying, "Can you dance this?" And she says, "Yes, I can." And they're like, "Yeah, right." And so the elders basically sit and watch her in silhouette, not in silhouette, in shadow, and she is brightly lit doing this incredible dance. That is so energetic that Tilda Swinton down like a floor or two below her like looks up and she's like, holy shit, what's going on up there? Mm-hmm. And she goes up and uh, witnesses. Now, that's amazing. But the uh, the real uh, the real tallywhacker is is the one where they do the, the performance they've been building up to this Volk performance, uh, which was, by the way, written by Tom York of Radiohead. And it's this it's the one that you've seen on the posters where they're all dressed in red ribbon and stuff like that. They have stuff on their eyes and it's a very kinetic performance. And uh, the prima ballerina at that point is Dakota Johnson's character and her counterpart is Mia Goth. And Mia Goth has just recently had her leg broken. But magically, she is good to go and she's freakily good to go. Uh, this is lit so beautifully. There's so many silhouettes. There's so many flailing limbs. There's a part where, uh, Dakota Johnson's eyes turn, I think from brown to blue and Mia Goss do the opposite. And there's just so much going on. And then there's a moment where that causes the performance to stop. And then the lights just kind of come back to normal and you realize how, meticulous they were with this lighting up until that point. And man, this, this movie is such a weird classic, but it's going to be one of my favorites that I go back to over and over again. And lighting is a big part of it. Color is a big part of it. And the dancing and the performances is so good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You notice yeah. that too, Chris? <laughs> oh, particularly that, that movie's mesmerizing yeah, in yeah. Uh, in so many ways. And you're talking about colors and and uh, and the dancing itself. That's all of that is its own art form. But yes, the lighting of it is amazing as well too. During all of that, uh, I would say, Jeremy, even if you may not even understand what the fuck is going on in that movie, <laughs> it's worth watching for that. Um, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a strange movie, but man, that scene right there will get you right in. I mean, you'll not want to leave, uh, that scene. Uh, that's how good it is. That scene is amazing. Musically is, um, 
Musically, it's weird. It's not even, you know, Tom York and Radiohead have been known to be weird, but even for, for them, it's not a, it's not a tonal or anything like that. It goes with it. Uh, but it's just a very German modern dance. And it will, uh, it, man, it, it'll, you won't take your eyes off the screen. It is, it is special. One of the <laughs> coolest things that I think I've seen, uh, that year for sure. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, my second example I'm going to go with is, uh, the opening scene of Inglorious Bastards, mm. where we see this bright country farm, sunshine and blue sky. And then, um, Christoph Waltz comes into this house and it's immediately dark with that. They sit at this table and there's this mysterious unexplained overhead orange light shining down on the table but they're both still kind of in shadow, even though they're sitting at the table. And the light is basically, I feel like Tarantino saying, this is the most important thing going on right now. This conversation, you pay attention to this right here. Um, and there's a lot of cool lighting flourishes in that scene, like when he goes down below the floor. Um, but just that, that opening conversation where they're lit from above and then there's just, you know, little bits of daylight trickling in through the cracks of the cabin. Uh, it's one of my favorite scenes of all time, but it just, mm-hmm. it, it's a very, I feel like that lighting is not um, subtle at all. Uh, and it's, uh, it works, works perfectly there. For Nothing me. in that scene is subtle, except everything is mm-hmm. the, 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 uh, the French farmer barely moves a muscle when he responds to, to uh, Christoph Waltz. He'll ask him a question. He'd be like, wait, and not even move a muscle. And then even when he – there's such an economy of of movement where he's lighting his pipe. And then it's offset by the cartoonishly large one that Christoph Waltz like, may yeah. I also smoke my pipe? Gajung! Like this fucking <laughs> <laughs> sailboat of a pipe. And he's just like, all right, there's everything. Good. Oh, man. Oh, that's it's, so good. I think it's interesting, too, how he shot that scene because, I mean, there's the – the idea, the Hitchcock idea of suspense is to show the audience a bomb and then, uh, and then, you know, instead of having the bomb explode like, like a surprise or whatever, like right. that. Uh, and, and, uh, in this one, Tarantino doesn't show you that there are people hiding under the floorboards yet. At first, you don't even know what this conversation's about. Yeah. Then midway through it, he, the camera goes down and shows you the people under the floorboards, it's and then, and much. It, then we have the the conversation becomes tense where it wasn't before. Yeah. Uh, it looks it just looks like okay, well, yeah, this is a Nazi asshole. Uh, we we you know this is probably not good that he's visiting, but there's doesn't seem to be any real danger. And then boom, see that <laughs> there are people under the under the floorboards. Uh, I do love I do love that scene. Yeah, it's awesome. Honestly, I should have used that last week for best opening scene for a mediocre movie. For, for that me. ain't a mediocre movie. Why are you talking? About? I don't really. I, I guess I'm defining the question differently. I don't think the movie's mediocre, but I think the rest of none of the rest of that movie lives up to that opening scene. Mm. Oh, the bar scene. Mm. The oh, bar scene. The bar scene is up there. The bar scene is up there. You're right. You're right, but that's okay. um, I don't really care much about the, the all the theater shit and the shooting up Hitler and and uh, on the field and drawing them 
blade in his forehead and all that shit. I love the way you described this movie. I just want to hear you describe the rest of it. I remember, I remember Cracked did that uh, article about like how movies could have been different and like, uh, like Tarantino apparently had planned on being, uh, uh, Aldo Rain, I think maybe I oh, can't wow. remember if he was trying to. If he was Aldo Rain, I think it might have been Aldo Rain because. And then and there's a point where like you know at the end where where he's carving that thing in the oh, into crystal yeah. and it's gonna be my masterpiece. And then right after that, it says directed by Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, I can um, see that having at least a flash in his mind. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you remember, if you recall reading anything on cracked, like you'd read something like that. And, and then you'd read like a paragraph and there'd be this parrot. There'd be this picture. There was a picture underneath of Quentin Tarantino and a caption that read this fucking guy. The, the third man uh, came up in, in my head when, when uh, lighting was brought up. Uh, mm. Carol Reed, if you've seen, I've only seen a couple of his movies, uh, Third Man and Odd Man Out. Uh, both of them are shot beautifully. And uh, Jeremy mentioned uh, in, in, uh, in, the, in the prep that black and white films just in general tend to have these great lighting moments and everything. Uh, but, um, but the third man, uh, Joseph Cotton is looking for uh, Orson Welles. He doesn't know who, who doesn't know who it is right off the bat, but there's this scene where uh he joseph cotton's like running through this this city and just the way it's just shot is beautiful it's an unbelievable like tour de force type of uh you know uh, scene for a movie it's unbelievable but joseph cotton is yelling out into the void he doesn't know where this guy is and then somebody who is is tired of joseph cotton yelling uh it's like in the middle of the night or whatever turns on an apartment light and the light shines down on Orson Welles and it reveals him, uh, to Joseph Cotton, uh, in the, and, and it's, uh, just a, it's just a gorgeous scene all the way through. And just the fact that this, this one, it, that he's been hiding in all these shadows this whole time. And then something as simple as that reveals him and everything is, uh, just a fantastic, uh, a movie moment. Uh, if you haven't seen the third man, you need to watch the third man. Awesome. This was uh, a couple, three, couple, three, couple, four years after Citizen Kane, right? Um, uh, 40, I late forties. So. It was it was forty nine. Forty nine, man. Like eight it, years. Like I said, we could do like a, a million of these, uh, especially black and white ones, where something like that happens. And you got to imagine that some of this was out of necessity, right? Instead of having to rely on or or being able to rely on color to get a mood across or to get your um your point across, you had to rely on light only, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of instead of uh, you know, all the other tools at your disposal. <clears throat> so yeah. yeah. I watched uh, Third Man on uh Mubi fairly recently and I need to go back to it cuz that was that was one that uh, really got me got me going. Yeah. Um, you know, Austrian stuff. I'm a fan of Austrian stuff. Gets me. <laughs> I hey, remember when Jeremy insulted uh the idea of putting Blade Runner 2049 on this list? 
<laughs> I'm going to put Blade Runner 2049 on this well, list. Well, he, 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 to be fair, he called it 2048, which is That's a true. Movie. Maybe it's a different. This is the sequel. <laughs> totally different. <laughs> so I'm going to put Blade Runner 2049 on this fucking list. And mm-hmm. you could actually, when you think about this, this movie, you can't help but uh, think about the original Blade Runner. The original Blade Runner has... Quite a few different moments, but my favorite moment from that original is when Sean Young introduces herself and you see the eyes come out first. And you, if you're, if you're plugged into the movie, you know she's a replicant really at that moment, right? Mm-hmm. Where she just appears out of that shadow. But my favorite moment in this series of moments, my, the, the greatest landscape that Roger Deakins and Denis Villeneuve did was that Vegas landscape. I mean, that Vegas landscape mm. just makes my jaw drop every time I see it, especially on a 4K TV or something like that. Uh, I saw it in theaters, and it was unbelievable. Uh, but my favorite use of lighting in this is towards the end. Uh, I've always uh, appreciated this movie about what it means to be human, what it means to have a soul, what it means to uh, be regarded as something sentient. Uh, And I think this movie does a good job about it. One is the difference between a replicant, which is viewed as below human, and the joystick, which is played by Ana de Armas in this movie, uh, and is literally a hologram. So how could she have a soul? How could she be sentient? How could she be human if she's not even physically there? And so by the, the time this moment happens... Uh, it's been out long enough where I don't think this is a spoiler. It's gone through all the Vegas stuff. Ryan Gosling has had his ass beat at this point. He's got a broken nose. He's just all over the place. He's been blowed up. It's been crazy. Walks back to his place uh, in whatever the fuck they're in, and he looks over, and they've got these giant billboards of the joy person, right? And it's Ana de Armas as the joy person, but it's not his joy. And mm-hmm. so his joy became sentient to him, and she bends down with the titties all showing. That's awesome. But she she bends down, and I'm gonna cut that. Uh, she bends down, and she's like, "Hey, big boy," or something like that, like a prostitute would would approach a a client. She bends over, and she's like, "Hey, you want to try this?" And the blue that emanates from her figure onto Ryan Gosling's face when it cuts to him. You can see his total, just absolute abjectation. Is that right? Um, just where where he resignation, I should say, where he's like, "I've finally found love. I finally found a purpose for my life that's outside of this just meaningless replicant killing." And now this person that I recognize is trying to approach me. But it's not my life anymore. My life, mm-hmm. as I know it, is completely over. And that trick of showing him bathed in that blue light that would be represented by his, quote, girlfriend is mm-hmm. soul-destroying <laughs> and yeah. also beautiful at the same time. You guys know what, what moment I'm talking about here? Yeah. yeah. Are you yeah. Are you lonely? I can fix that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yes. And the titties. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, yes, and they are very nice. Yes, yeah. Um, Isn't that a beautiful moment, though? Like uh, that really, 
it's it's right before the final act, I reckon, right? Uh, but, but it just it it's the opposite of the characters protagonists argue with themselves before the final act of the movie cliche. Mm. It's 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 saying that he's given up. He kind of knows what his end game is at this point. Um, and it's to face off against Jared Leto. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, he, he, this is where he says, OK, that's that's it for me. <laughs> and and that in itself is human to me. And God, I could talk about this movie all day. Mm-hmm. And all I could right, talk yeah. about it. I could talk about titties. Do we want to go another round? One more? I could do this all day, seriously. All right, speaking of titties, um, <clears throat> Finding Nemo. See, um, now, there's no way that Barrett can cut any of the titty things now because we've we've done too many side things about titty. <laughs> I can just imagine how many times he's tried to cut. He's like, oh, no, I'll cut the first mention of titties, but then we're going to just keep saying... Talking about titties. Now Jeremy seems like the dirty person. Yeah, cut all mine out and be like, Jeremy, what is wrong with you? What a dirty person he is. A dirty, dirty fucking person. I uh I have been on record multiple times saying I think Finding Nemo is a perfect movie. And mm. it is one of the it was one of the earliest Pixar movies where the animation just made me go. Wow. Uh, and a lot of it is the lighting. I mean, I know they did a lot of work to get the water and how water behaves and moves, but it's that light of the sun or lack thereof coming down in beams around them throughout the whole movie. They, there's that section where they're way down and it's dark and then they find that light that actually is a fish that wants to eat them and there's a whole chase scene that shows great lighting there. And um, <clears throat> The moment I think is the best is right in the beginning, man, where Nemo has Nemo. Uh, Marlin has a wife and hundreds of kids, and then a barracuda shows up, and Marlin has no wife and only has one kid with a cracked little egg. And he goes down and he picks him up with his fin, and he says, "It's okay, Daddy's got you." And the camera quotes pans up, and you see the moon through the water surface. And as the main theme kicks in, do 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 do. Do, 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 do. It turns to sun and daylight and pans over and Nemo's grown up and it's the first day of school and coming out of the urchin thing. And it just, I got goosebumps right now because that moment gives you hope. That moment is, hey, this was a dark opening, but here is the hope. This is going to mm-hmm. end happy. Um, and that transition from the moonlight to the sunlight gets me every time. Not to mention that score is just fucking fantastic. But yeah. um yeah, Who if you want score? good examples of light, Finding Nebo is full of them. Was that Jakina? Thomas Newman. Thomas Newman. Oh, that was that? Would you say that's before Jakino really got kind of like assimilated into the, the Pixar mix? Yeah. His first one was Incredibles. Giacchino was like on Alias during this point. Oh, I see. I see. Right? When wasn't, was, that, uh, wasn't that sort of what he was doing at the point Finding Nemo came well, out? Like Alias uh, and Lost and stuff like that. Yeah, I think Incredibles um, was his first score for Pixar. Don, you, you can, and you'll know that it's Thomas Newman because there's a scene when they're trying to uh, get out of the net towards the end that sounds exactly like Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, 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 the other day, I was watching something. I can't. It was some random movie, some random ass movie, random. and I was like, 
And it was like, it was like, that's fucking James Horner. He's doing that fucking <laughs> thing that he does and everything. And I love James Horner, but he, there's that little thing that he does with speaking of sneakers where there's that piano shiver that he does. Yeah. You know, and he does that in Apollo 13 and all that. And this was some movie. I can't even remember what it was, but, uh, <laughs> but like it was like, it wasn't it was like a big sliver. Movie. <laughs> yeah, it was probably sliver. Um, in, uh, didn't he do uh, Field of Dreams too? Uh, probably. I, th- I I I think that's right. Um, the the movie the the next movie that I have on my list is The Natural. Uh-huh. Um, the Natural has a lot of these scenes uh, where lighting is important to the characters and everything, especially with the character known as the Judge uh in the uh in the movie because he likes to uh, be bathed completely in darkness uh so when uh so when uh roy hobbs walks into his office for the first time all it is is just dark and the only thing that lights the scene yeah i'm sure that there's other little fill lights here and there but the only thing that lights the scene is the is sort of the light that's coming from outside through the curtains basically and it's not much light it's still very very dark um, and lighting is, uh, also plays a factor into how they light Barbara Hershey in the movie. I don't know if you, uh, how well versed are you guys on the natural? Because when I, have you Not ever seen it? Well. I've seen it. I saw it forever. Probably 10 times before I hit 15. But since then, most of my knowledge is comes from you. Yeah. Like Barbara Hershey plays a, a character who, uh, is a, is a serial killer of, of famous athletes, mm. uh, that shows up in the very beginning. And there's this talk about somebody has a very famous athlete has died and everything. And we see Barbara Hershey on the train with the whammer played by Joe Don Baker. Um, and, uh, and there, and she's obviously following him, but once Roy Hobbs strikes him out at the carnival, her attentions go over to Roy Hobbs. And so like, there's a scene where they're in the hotel and she invites him over to her room because hell yeah, you know, Barbara Hershey is, uh, is inviting me over to her room. So definitely going to go, go see what that's all about. And, uh, but you know, she's all, she's dressed in black and got, puts a veil down over her face. She's a crazy fucking person. In this movie. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, uh, you know, just the way they have her lit and the way they like Kim Basinger, who's basically the next femme fatale in this movie for, for Roy Hobbs, uh, and everything. But I like how they light the baseball field. If you ever mm-hmm. look at, if you ever look at sports movies, they do this weird thing where they, want to they the directors still want to have their shadows and they're like they're they want to have something that looks movie like or whatever when and we all know that when we watch a football game or a baseball game it's not like there's these hidden shadows Ain't everywhere. No shadows in a baseball field <laughs> they need the light man and so when you watch the last boy scout or you watch any given sunday or uh money ball which is another one that does this weird shit um you know it, it it's weird but when you watch the natural the field is bathed in light and the stands themselves don't have as much light but it's still like to look at the field itself where there's not like these dark corners and everything, <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's kind of a breath of fresh air when you watch other sports movies and then get to the natural and everything. So anyway, there you go. Yeah. Even Moneyball 
some of those shots of the baseball field, I'm like, oh, this is a lot of it's shadow like, work there. Yeah, yeah. So he'd be, he'd be out running at a fly ball in right field and be like, oh, my God, I'm bathed in blackness. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like uh, you'll, you'll see like uh, the in the montage where David Justice is like watching – watching you know balls go across the plate and they're not and they're they're not strikes and he's just like all right you know the 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 whole getting on base thing is getting to the whole team and you can see david justice like looking at these balls and everything, and everything is like superly dramatically lit and everything <laughs> oh yeah you took that ball that's right <laughs> 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 oh, oh, oh jesus. jesus christ oh my god well i i would be remiss if i i didn't uh call out citizen kane i know we've talked about you mm-hmm. know the classics and everything and not being able to get to all of them but uh one of the greatest there's many great parts of uh being on the cinema sense team but I had not seen Citizen Kane until we send it, oh, uh, wow. which was 2016, I believe, maybe uh, fall of 2016. Um, and uh, I watched it first because I was like, there's no way I'm fucking watching this for the first time. And <laughs> like writing dick jokes about Orson Welles <laughs> and Joseph Cotton and shit like that. So I watched it first and and... and that first watch was just a, a, me and a kid in candy store. And what I found most arresting, you know, you can go through all the different shots of, you know, the, the camera pan through the, the, the window and how they light, um, you know, his, his ex, uh, mistress. And, uh, you know, even in the, uh, when they're, when they're doing the campaign where the, 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 uh, camera is shooting straight up, but my favorites are the aerial shots of Xanadu. And by aerial, I mean, in interior uh, aerial shots where it's Ooh. so vast and they do these high mounted camera shots where it's looking down on the big living room with the giant fireplace that can fit like 90 people in there. <laughs> and, and you, and when the fire is lit, when he's actually talking in there, it casts this pall of shadows. You can see quote shadows of this in the big Lebowski actually when uh when the dude is going to talk to the real Lebowski and uh he's by mm. the fire uh but uh it, it, anytime you get into Xanadu there's plenty of it's heresy to say but it's a little fake looking shots exterior of Xanadu um you know when they're going up the hill and everything it looks like an Adams family house basically but when you get interior to it, oh my god, it will make your heart jump. And and when he comes out uh, to uh, to ev- eventually leave and take his his mistress on that trip, uh, the mirror shot, which is not necessarily a lighting shot, it's a camera trick, but that will explode explode in your heart. See what I did there? It will explode your heart uh, in all the right places because this is cinematography and lighting and directing at its finest. And I just wanted to call it specifically the interior shots of Xanadu because those were absolutely my favorite part. And then I send the dick jokes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. There you go. There you go. Yep. Proper, proper, proper. Well, I don't that. think there'd be a good list of this if we didn't put some of the classics like the third man. No, and, all right, I get you. you know, and, well, you know, there is that weird cock that's in Citizen Kane. There's, well, a, there's, a, weird, there's a weird cock in there. 
very strange looking cock. It's a stunt cock, which is the weirdest thing. Right, um, right. No, there's a there's one that just screams out of nowhere in the middle of a movie. It's like a it's like an uh, editing thing. They where, after Susan Alexander has yelled at Charlie Kane and they're about to take that big vacation and everything. And you're talking about the actual cock that comes through and goes. Nah! Yeah, like when she's like, "You never given me anything before that meant anything to you," and all that other stuff that goes on, and then then they go on the vacation, and there's this. It's a I wonder how much like ink has been spilled over that particular decision in that movie over the last what it's now been eighty years. Yeah, and I don't, I, I, I never understand it unless he's making a statement about Susan Alexander, and that's the, that's the only thing I can think uh, of. The, yeah, yeah, maybe because she's she's screeching, but she's also right. So I don't yeah. know what the fuck she's yeah. ta- they're talking about. But anyway, um, is that yeah. it? Yeah, can, can we do one more round? Sure, we can. I'll do one more round. Sure. All right, All right I'm gonna go uh, a, a little uh, intentional misinterpretation of my own topic, but uh, the movie Insomnia, mm. um, Light becomes a character at one point in this film uh, because. Pacino is struggling so much to adapt, basically investigating a murderer in this Alaskan town where at this point of the year, the sun never sets. And at other points of the year, it never comes up. Uh, And I don't know how fictional or real the actual town is, but I know there are places like this where, Mm -hmm. you know, it's dark for three months of the year and light for three months of the year. And so first there's just gags of, you know, him saying, you know, okay, well, let's get some supper. And they're like, well, it's seven in the morning, stuff like that, because he doesn't, <laughs> he's not adjusted yet. And I'll, I'll be honest, this movie has grown on me. Um, I've seen it maybe three or four times. The first time or two I saw it, I didn't think it was Nolan's best work. And maybe it's not in the upper tier, but I do love the parallels here where Pacino has this thing in his past that he's probably guilty of. And this thing in his present that he's definitely guilty of, that he's not talking to anyone about, and he's it's dark shit. And yet he's confronted by light everywhere he goes. There are no shadows for him to hide his sin in, um, to the point where he's putting cushions and shit up against the hotel windows to try and block every last bit of light he can, and it's still not enough. And that, I feel like, is very intentional because he's... He's deeply disturbed and has done some bad things and he's wrestling with demons and maybe it's a little too on the nose, but I love that the movie is basically forcing him to live all this out in the light. He can't hide from any of this and it eventually catches up to him. It's, uh, there's a there's a moment in that movie because we see the room he's staying in and it does appear like the light just doesn't ever stop he can't do anything to block out that light but then maura tierney shows up uh Mm -hmm. who's the like uh the person who owns the place the motel bar place or whatever and uh and uh knocks on the door and he goes i'm just trying to get trying to block out the light in here and she goes it's completely dark in here yeah yeah see it from her (laughs) perspective and you're right and she's right it's completely dark, but just the tiniest sliver of light is causing him uh, yep. sleep issues. Well, I'm, I'm along with that thing he did, but uh, 
but uh, it, it's crazy when you see it from her perspective, because this whole movie you've been going, God, he just can't block that light out. Can he? Yeah. And by the end of that point, you're like, Oh, he blocked it out. He just is, is completely like, out. yeah. Might be one of the most uh, nuanced uh, later day Pacino performances, right? Because oh, he's yeah. not all super shouty. He's not almost all, no shouty. He's not all ranty. He's you know, tired. Even in, he's tired. And even in, of course, he had that 88 minutes and righteous kills and all that stuff. And then he comes back with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But even there, he's way over the top. Marvin Schwartz, you yeah. know, and he's he's just making this this whole character but my least favorite Insomnia, part of that movie. do what he's my least favorite part of that movie i do t- i agree with that but uh yeah even that uh, but in insomnia he's just he's muted and, mm-hmm. and he used to do that back in the early 70s and mid 70s and stuff like that and then he just boom and even robin williams i think is muted in this movie uh, he's not manic like his comic stuff but when he has veered dramatic he tended to be like sometimes extra serious and in this mm. he's he's almost matter of fact about yeah. what he's done and why he's doing it and it only makes him creepier uh mm-hmm. whereas in something like one hour photo he's trying to be creepy and it doesn't come off as creepy um and uh anyway i really like insomnia more than it's i used a, to uh, nolan must have had some pretty good uh clout uh, or at least good respect built up either through memento or or uh whatever happened pre insomnia because Nolan was, I think only 29 maybe when he did insomnia. Oh, really? He might've been younger than that even. And I, and, uh, and I watched that disc the other day. Well, several, it was like two or three months ago. And, uh, there's an interview with him and Pacino, on there and i'm like man not that it's not that it would have been a major deal you just made a movie with the guy so obviously you're gonna you can get an interview with him like that but just to be able to get an hour-long conversation with pacino and just sit there and talk about movies this pacino's got you know decades of experience over what you have and you haven't established you haven't really been established yet and everything i have to think that before insomnia was made he 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 made it made them realize I'm not here just to just to have your usual shtick in this movie. Yeah, because if you're going to do that, I'm, I'll get somebody else uh, to play it. I, I don't, you know, basically saying I want you guys, but I don't want your your I don't want you know Al. I don't want your devil's advocate. And Robin, I don't want your you know uh, I don't know what dreams may come or whatever. But you <laughs> yeah, <made> exactly. <laughs> Who's in that interview? Is it just Nolan and Pacino, or is just Nolan Williams and Pacino? Is that uh, as amazing as I kind of think it is? It's it's pretty great. The uh, the way the just the history of film. Pacino is just. It's funny we never see Pacino on talk shows, but he would be yeah, a great yeah. talk show guest. Um, because he because once he starts talking, he never stops. Yeah, well, so, I heard that on the Malton interview when they did it uh, a, a few years ago. Uh, but yeah, I could imagine him being interviewed by Christopher Nolan circa, what is it? 2001 was in some or was it 2000? 2003, okay. somewhere in there. I think the movie came out in 2002, but like, uh, but yeah, I, I just wondered, I wonder if Nolan and, and, and he's, I don't know if there was a, some sort of a special sauce there where he was able at that age with only one movie under his belt. Well, technically two, 
to be able to go, you know, I want this performance for Pacino. Yeah, yeah. Here's what I want from you, Al. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I want this from Robin Williams. So, um, yeah, I'll uh, I'll try to I'll try to pass along that interview if you guys want to see it. Yeah, I would love to. Can uh, I can I can get that? Uh, speaking of Pacino, uh, talk about Heat. Ooh. Um, Ooh. Heat's got some great lighting moments, but uh, the best the best for me is the, the climax at the airport. Uh, everything about that scene at the airport where Pacino is chasing down De Niro, he's finally got his man uh, cornered somewhere uh, out in the middle of that field with all the like uh, I don't know the transformers or whatever it is yeah. that they're going around. Uh, and, and De Niro is hiding and there, and everything's very quiet, except occasionally a plane flying overhead and everything. The, it's obviously very dark. Pacino can't see anything, uh, really in front of him. De Niro, that's the, the, that's the good thing for Pacino. De Niro really can't see anything either, but there's a moment where a plane flies over and, uh, and, and you can see that the runway lights come on and everything that, so th- there's sort of a, there's sort of a preview about what, what's going to happen in the scene, because the first time it happens, nothing really happens other than, Oh, we know that this can happen now. There's the, it'll bathe the entire, uh, field in light when this happens and everything. Uh, so then Pacino goes out and basically out in the middle of the open there where he's, he, he's, he's easily, he could easily get shot if De Niro spots him, but it's just dark enough that De Niro doesn't expose himself yet. And, and he, and Pacino, he can't see Pacino yet. But then there's this gorgeous shot of a plane go flying overhead as Pacino is looking along along the side, and these lights all prop up and everything. And there's this beautiful, just like everything is lit up in that field and everything. De Niro comes around his transformer thing, and he's ready to he's ready to fire Pacino. Like his his cop instincts kick in, and it's like you know comes over and he swings over and he gets the shot off before De Niro can get his off. And, uh, but that scene, that scene is so, it's lit so well. It's so beautiful to watch. Uh, it's perfect. That's uh, a great, yeah. that's a perfect example. That is so awesome. Mm-hmm. And that's a series of amazing ang. I think of heat as like a very angular movie. It seems like mm-hmm. all the, the shots are divided between black and white. Cause that's essentially kind of like a theme of the movie is, the the differences between the 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 two of them and i love that i love yeah, that yeah, scene. Yeah. or the similarities between the two of them right yeah, yeah totally yeah. yeah well only one has a goatee though there you go mm, only one has a natalie portman stepdaughter <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> only one has a fucking scene in there right no 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 does cuz P- D- D- uh, pacino has a fucking scene like one of his first scenes in the movie does uh does De Niro have a sex scene with yeah. Amy Brenneman? Yeah, right. Uh, I don't know. I guess I'm I watching. I don't Heat remember tonight. there being a sex scene. <laughs> I just remember them. I just remember them showing showing them, and it and it was a it looked official that they had fucked, but I don't think there was any scene in there. <laughs> there was. There, there was. That <laughs> was afterglow. Uh, so yeah um jesus all right i i got the final one and it's the it's a super cheat because i want people to watch this uh this this program because it's immediately when i think about light and i think about color and i think about uh tricks i think about gorillas 
the uh, the animated band uh, fronted by Damon Albarn from uh, from Blur, and uh, happened to catch this one night on. What became MTV Live, it was at the time Muse TV or something like that. And it was 2006 or shortly afterwards. And they did a show at the Apollo Theater in Harlem. And it was performed rather than just on a screen like they normally did uh, with their their avatars and all that stuff. Uh, It was performed completely in silhouette in these beautiful panels of color uh, throughout the entirety of the performance. And it was one of the most beautiful things I had ever seen. And it still persists, you know, 15 years now. Uh, later on, I can still watch it and get chills every time. Now, they have featured performers. Now, you know, Gorillaz usually collaborates with hip hop artists or, you know, things like that. Um, for this one, you know, the songs Feel Good, Inc., uh, November Has Come, uh, Oh, Green World, maybe, uh, Kids with Guns, Dirty Harry, things like that. Dare is a big one. Uh, but, th- my favorite concerts are the ones where they take a simple song and they make it dynamic to where you've never heard anything like it before. I don't know if you know what I'm, what I'm talking about or if I'm explaining it well, where it takes the theme or the melody or the harmony or something like that and it builds on it into where it's a fever pitch at the end of it. Uh, and this one has that... Uh, with almost every performance, uh, they do uh, a, a, a song that I don't like, Kids with Guns. Uh, they bring in Nina Cherry, uh, who used to be the front woman of the Slits, uh, the punk band back in the day. And she has a wail that you've never heard in your life. Uh, they bring in De La Soul, who does the Don't Stop, Get It, Get It, <laughs> and Feel Good, Inc. Um, and they're having a ton of fun. Everybody's on drugs. Um, they bring in Sean Ryder, uh, speaking of drugs, hee, the guy that used to be, uh, the happy Mondays front man, he is fucked up and he's like, it's there, <laughs> but it's all, but the lighting itself, uh, watch this. Even if you don't like their music, watch this for a completely original set. It is absolutely gorgeous. They're all in silhouette. Damon Albarn is basically at a piano just fucking jamming out with a white uh, panel right behind him. And it's just white and black. The rest of the band is like blue and black and all that stuff. It is absolutely fantastic. It's not a movie, but fuck you guys. I'm a member of this podcast, too. Uh, not you guys. Oh, no, okay. You mean uh, other guys who aren't listening or other guys participate. Uh, that, that would complain about it because it's so awesome. Um, if you have the, the weed, get the weed. If you're taking the pot, take the pot mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and watch this, and you will thank me very, very much uh, later on. Gorillas live at the Apollo in Harlem 2006, Demon Days. It will warm your cockles. You you can just find this on YouTube or whatever? You can find the entire show on YouTube except for the Dirty Harry song, which is really good, but it's not essential. Is there a Dirty Harry song or a Clint Eastwood song? They did both. Really? Uh, Clint Eastwood was the, I'm happy, I'm feeling glad I got sunshine. Yeah. That was in the first album. I didn't know they had a album. Dirty Harry song. They do. It's on Demon Days, That's yeah. That's crazy. Um. All right. Do we have some time for questions? Shit. Yeah. Question. Question. I got something to say. 
truth. I'm listening. What the hell sure. was that voice? Let's cue it up. Uh, yeah, let's cue it up. We have some good ones. I'll just start at the beginning here. What are your thoughts on sequels that aren't really sequels? Or really any self-proclaimed, quote, sequel that doesn't make sense compared to the original movie? An example of this would be American Psycho 2, where the movie originally was not intended to be a sequel, but ended up adjusting its plot to be considered a follow-up to American Psycho. First of all, has anyone else seen American Psycho 2? I have not. Oh, wow. I have. It, 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 because of Mila Kunis or just because of American Psycho or just because it was on? Just, uh, it was on, man. Well, yeah. William Shatner's in that movie. He is. Yeah. Did you enjoy a, any of it? No. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> no. Like, Mila Kunis, it's certainly not really Mila Kunis is a great actress, but she's not good in this. No, no, no. It's that not her a, fault. Um, funny thing uh, when... Family Guy did a uh, live reading of an episode that I guess they'd never done this episode or whatever. Like it was a band episode. They were not, not allowed to do it. They had a live reading. So they got everybody to come out and uh, they were introducing everybody like what they, you know, and introducing blah, blah, blah. And, and, uh, and then Seth MacFarlane's like, all right. And now coming out to, to voice Meg, American Psycho 2's Mila Kunis. Yes, yes, perfect. Exactly. What do you guys think about sequels that don't have anything to do with the original source material? So I can see what they're saying here. Like, you know, there's, you know, one of the weird ones out there is like Troll 2, which is the more famous of the sequels of the, you know, because it's so bad, but it has absolutely nothing to do with the original Troll whatsoever. <laughs> Um, uh, um, and then, but there's a, the, I, I may have taken this question a different way because one of the things that, uh, I find interesting is the Die Hard series. Uh, Die Hard, uh, was, uh, was, was, came from a book called Nothing Lasts Forever. And, uh, and so they, they turned that, they turned that, uh, you know, into a blockbuster film. Die Hard 2 was not written as an original screenplay of Die Hard 2. Nobody went and said, I'm going to write the sequel to Die Hard. It's an dat- adaptation of a book called 58 Minutes. Um, oh. And so they took a book called 58 Minutes, and they were going to make that into a movie, and they wrote a screenplay, and then they just put John McClane and Holly and everybody <laughs> into it, basically. Uh, and then uh, they made that sequel, 88 Minutes. Yes, oh. they did. They did. And then they made the prequel, 15 Minutes. Um, well, even, are you going to talk? Are you you might have mentioned Die Hard with a Vengeance. It's the same Going to get the Die Hard with a Vengeance, yes. Die Hard with a Vengeance was uh, from a screenplay called Simon Says. Uh, that they were going to, they were going to make that into a movie. They turned that into a diehard. They turned uh, John McClane into that one. Um, Live Free or Die Hard was based on an article. Uh, that, <laughs> that were, really? Yeah, uh, it was based on an article. It was going to be called WW3.com, and they put John McClane into it. Surprisingly, the only diehard that was actually written in screenplay no. form no. is is uh yeah, is bullshit good day to diehard. Oh, uh, that's crazy. Uh, they actually meant to write that. They didn't write that from <laughs> like uh <laughs> <laughs> the only one they meant to write <laughs> <laughs> never have been made. They did it on purpose. <laughs> they did it on purpose. Um, but uh, you know, in that case, I feel like it's fine. I think it's cool because it's not like there are some. Like I believe, um, 
the the interesting thing about Die Hard with a Vengeance is that that is that Warner Brothers bought Simon Says to be a Lethal Weapon movie at one point. Oh so, wow! So uh, so uh, I was reading it. I think I read this on uh, Den of Geek. Uh, had a big article about this and everything. Den of Geek was talking about how like you know you can kind of see sort of the banter between uh, Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson as Mel Gibson and Danny Glover in wow, that whole yeah. thing. Uh, and, and, and while those movies, uh, you know, I, I, you can say that those movies have some different, uh, tones to them that are, that it doesn't seem it, it, Bruce Willis plays John McClane. So, I mean, I mean, I, I think everybody's willing, it, nobody really sees a big difference between those movies other than just the stories themselves. Right. So they, so they, so it works the way that they did that works essentially, um, uh, by taking completely different stories and just sticking John McClane in it. And it totally worked out, uh, for the most part, but uh, <laughs> until the fifth one, <laughs> until the fifth one, um, uh, talking about movies that don't feel like sequels to their originals. I feel like the fast and furious franchise has absolutely nothing to do with how it started. And, and, yeah. and, and, and maybe that, I mean, it's not like the same example where we're given here with American psycho two. I think that's a situation where they were just like, well, we've got this title called American psycho. Why don't we just call it part two and, and uh, it'll be a franchise or whatever. I don't think they did that with fast and furious. The fast and furious though, was, was all about street racing. It's all it was. Now all of a sudden, Vin Diesel's got connections around the world. He's a fucking spy. He's a, you know, like he's a he, he can do any. Just fill Vin Diesel anywhere you want to. That he can do that job all of a sudden, even though he's just this dude who you know uh, takes his life, whatever it is, ten feet at a time. Um. Uh, but, uh, and then I thought, uh, also basic instinct too. Has uh, I have not seen this. Is this, uh, is that even Catherine Tremell in this one? Yeah. It's Sharon Stone okay. and, and she's, uh, she's trying to get up on, uh, what's his name? Uh, um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's his last name is, his last name's Morrissey, but it's not fucking Morrissey. It's, uh, it's David Morrissey. <laughs> It might be David Morrissey or whatever. He's trying to get up, get up all on his jock in this movie. And, and there's not, it's not the same movie though. Like she's still like playing head games and everything. That's about the only real similarity. Uh, when you make a movie basic instinct too well after when you could really get away with the, the, all the sex and stuff that they got away with in the first one, this mm-hmm. one got a lot of muted bullshit sex in it. Like nothing, it's not, it's not nearly the whack off material the first movie. What I'm saying is, is that they just, they don't have as much sex scenes in it and everything. It's not, it, it might be one sex scene in it. Mm, oh, well, I don't God. even remember there being much you know, What's much at all. Uh, but she's still playing head games. That's about it. That's the only real similarity between the two movies. Mm. Nice. Mm. Nice. So. And she shows her virgin. The second one, she got wise to the, to the cameras being surreptitiously placed. Oh, uh, <laughs> did she really? 
Like, honestly, did that happen in the movie? That she didn't uncross her legs? Never mm-hmm. mind. I, I was thinking that that would be a plot point in a oh, terrible movie. Oh, like she just, she's like, she goes to open her legs. And she's like, hang oh, on. Wait a minute. See, but, but the Catherine Jamel in the first movie knew what she was doing, though. She sure did. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. there wouldn't have been anything. There wouldn't have been any lessons learned from the first movie. <laughs> like the second. I'm not going to do that again. Hang on. They were looking at my skirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you scoundrels. <laughs> oh Jesus. Uh, all right, I'm I'm done with my sequels. I will uh I will go. Uh I I had a hard time with this question, so I came it came up with two answers that don't really answer it. Uh, I came up with a positive example of sequels that don't really feel related, and that's The Hustler and The Color of Money, mm-hmm. um, because they're both about uh, Fast Eddie, uh, Paul Newman's character, but that's literally the only connection, uh, is that mm-hmm. he's playing the same guy 40 years later. There's no interweaving plot details or settings or anything like that. Um, and then I also, and I'm going to offend Dicer here, and I apologize, but I don't think Split is a proper sequel to Unbreakable in any sense of the word. Um, I I do appreciate the stealthness of it and mm-hmm. wish I had been able to experience that in the theater. I think hearing that music and seeing Bruce Willis would have made me go, what? But the mm-hmm. literally only connection between them besides that Bruce Willis cameo is the setting, Philadelphia. And yeah. all of M. Night's movies are set in Philadelphia. So arguably, they're all in the same universe, if that's the connection we're going with. And I think it's just that he got halfway through a, a movie and decided, oh, I'm going to connect this to Unbreakable. And that's why it feels like such a loose connection for me. So. Yeah, and it just doesn't make I know that he wanted to make a sequel to Unbreakable. Uh, when I know he wanted to do that. And I remember there being an interview saying, I just didn't see enough love for that movie to, to, to make a straight sequel. So it takes him a 16, 17 years or whatever to make uh, something that's loosely connected to it and everything. And yeah, it comes out of nowhere. And in fact, I was confused, man. I was very confused. I was just sitting there going, wait a minute, he's connecting this to unbreakable, but what did all the stuff that I just saw have to do with unbreakable really yeah um, it's it's uh, literally about that singular character right and they're trying to make it seem like oh okay well this is the dawning of it's kind of like x-men you know we're like there we're we're getting the dawning of uh, uh people uh evolving into uh supreme beings and everything like that but but still like it just uh, i was not satisfied with that at all uh, that that's how he chose to connect those movies. Yeah. I agree. I had two sequels that, uh, that are related in a universe, which I don't, it, it's so ham handed that I don't understand it. One. I like one. I don't is uh 10 Cloverfield lane yeah. and Cloverfield paradox. And well, they could not be, well, they could not be more different from the original. And they also could not be more different from each other. <laughs> And talk about movies that did not start uh, as Cloverfield. Exactly. That's another one. Oh, you were about to say that. Sorry. No, it's fine because, you know, it's it, it, Dan Trachtenberg, I think, knew that it was going to be somewhat uh, related within the universe of Cloverfield at, at the point that he took over. But, but it, 
it that ending seems so tacked on. Now, this is a very, very good movie. Great mm-hmm. performances. The ending is what really like spits you in the face because like okay, it has to be something, but it's like it could be anything. It could be one of Denis Villeneuve's little uh, cephalopody things, you know, walking around out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has no relation whatsoever to Cloverfield, but it was a very, very good movie. I just wish it didn't have that ending. Mm-hmm. And the Cloverfield Paradox, I think, even though it started out not being related to it, once it did, it seemed like it was trying to avoid the whammy stuff that was in the second quote movie and pepper it in, and that made it even fucking worse because well, there's good ideas in Cloverfield Paradox, I think, but it is t- a terrible movie. I think they shot most of that movie before it became a Cloverfield film. I think you're talking about Paradox. It's little bits. I need to research, but I'm pretty sure I remember reading that it was almost done or done and became a Cloverfield movie after the fact. I think that's right. Um, I understand the marketing decisions behind that. You've got a surprise hit uh, with Cloverfield and everything, and everybody's very curious about the the stuff behind it, especially the bad robot connection with J.J. Abrams. But also, man, tell your fucking story because you got a great story in 10 Cloverfield Lane, and you've got bits of a good story in Paradox. You don't have to muck it up with this other stuff. It just to just for marketing, you're having it on Netflix. It's a sci-fi drama. It's got a great cast. Just go with that. By the way, we did we send this movie, but uh, bring it up again. I hate when they bring up parallel universes and movies, and the parallel universe is exactly the same except for minor differences. Mm-hmm. But those minor differences would have caused way bigger issues or not issues but way bigger changes within that world than than what they're they're trying to make it sound like the same exact things happen on the same on these planets only a couple of different decisions here and there and i'm sorry yeah. uh, there's no way that it works that way <laughs> if yeah. you know uh so um I'm probably going to get called out for that somehow, but uh, well, yeah. no, I understand that 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 theme is explored in yesterday. Did you say you have or have not seen not yesterday at this point? No. Have not. Uh, seen that's what that's what uh, Dicer and I argue about all the time. Is because it's it's enjoyable. It's not perfect, but it's enjoyable. But yes, it's it's weird that it's not only the Beatles that are missing from that alternate universe. There are a lot of different other things that would have drastically altered things like the lack of cigarettes being around. I'd be like, no, there's going to be major differences if there's no cigarettes around. Yeah. I understand the Beatles, but no, that's not right. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway. So yeah, the, the Cloverfield watch Cloverfield. The first one is great. I think for a found footage film, the second one is really, really good. And the third one can eat my balls. Mm-hmm. There'll be a fourth mm-hmm. one someday. <clears throat> yep. It will. It will be based on a book uh, called Die Hard Six. That's true. <laughs> yeah, a screenplay. This treatment's been around. Someone just writes a book called Die Hard Six. <laughs> like Leonard Part Six. <laughs> can, you imagine, can you imagine? There's some. There's some asshole at home somewhere who's like 
like slaving away on a keyboard. Like this is Die Hard Six. God damn it! They're like submit that shit to some publisher. <laughs> um, all right, that's gonna do it for this week. Uh, keep going to Syncast presented by CinemaSins on Facebook. We're also on CinemaSins Twitter. Uh, music video since Twitter. We're on SoundCloud. We're on Discord. And if you want to get on Discord, you can either go to our Reddit page and find the link on the right side there, or you can Facebook uh, go private Facebook message to me, and I will give you a link there. Anything else we need to talk about? You know what Jeremy is wearing right now, Chris? Uh, yes. It's it's a it's a beanie. It's a mm-hmm. beanie. Mm-hmm. Now it is not a CinemaSense branded beanie. But he has one mm-hmm. or two, mm-hmm. and you, my friend, listening, you can get one now at mm-hmm. the CinemaSins merch store, teespring.com slash CinemaSins. I think that's the address. I don't really know. Go to one of our videos, okay. go to click Cinema on Sins. the Teespring thing, and, and or go to CinemaSins.com and, and go to the store, yeah. and you can find beanies, you can find socks, you can find T-shirts. You can find jock straps. You can find mm. thongs. Nope. You can find earmuffs. Lying. Okay, you can't find like half of those, but you can find cool shit. And these lot, are good. There's a, things, you, there's a lot of things there that you wouldn't expect there for sure. I would agree. Yeah, and uh, uh, the beanies are quality, man. I'm a beanie wearer, and it's not quite hot enough today for a, a true winter beanie. So this is sort of my spring beanie which is the lighter <laughs> thread, bear, the thread one that I have. Uh, but these are solid. They're warm. They're tight without being painful. Um, and it's uh, stitched on there. It's not like a sticker of the pitchfork. It's uh, it's really high quality. And uh, if you like beanies, check it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, that's going to do it for this week. It's Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. Did you see that thing on Twitter where a church accidentally printed the lyrics to Tupac's Hail Mary instead of the church hymn Hail Mary. <laughs> no. And so it's like a church program and you open up inside and it's like, I don't know the lyrics of that song, but it's like, I'm going to get a gun, kill you like a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the lyrics of that song. I got to find it. That's hilarious. I gotta find this shit. Uh, he was killed in '96, right? That sounds right. Uh, uh, sure, uh, must be. Yeah, '96. So he had a lot of movies come out afterwards. He well, had, oh no, a hold lot on. of movies. Okay, that's archive, uh, archive footage. Yeah. So Gridlocked came out. Bullet came out. Gridlocked was the other one that I was thinking of. And gang related was uh, was in '97 too. He was the detective. So maybe it was Above the Rim not one of them? Above the Rim was 94. He was still Okay. Uh, he was still alive. So he was still kicking. So you see you can see No, where okay, let me see. In the chat, the chat on the Google Hangout. This blows like a 12 gauge shotty. Ugh, feel me. <laughs> what, what is it not coming up?
Uh, See, I understand. I just don't understand how this shit happens. The uh, the misprint. I mean, look. It was probably an altar boy. I understand. I understand going to the internet and looking up Hail Mary, and 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 whatever. But you don't realize that that is a really common uh, thing, and you want to make sure that the name, the words are right. I mean. No, that's got to be an altar boy. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> they always do. They always uh, print off the Hail Marys and the Our Fathers and the uh, <coughs> the uh, oh the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure an altar boy was like, "Here you go. I'm a ghost in these killing fields." <laughs> yeah. And you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe they didn't think there was anything wrong with that. Maybe they thought, eh, you know, same old shit. I'm running through it. I don't see any uh, like obvious obscenities. So this is a perfect thing to like sneak in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, feel me. <laughs> I've yet to do it, but I'm planning to make a video at some point to run at my funeral and I'll update it every couple of years, but it would just be me commandeering my own funeral and cracking wise and not allowing anyone to be all stuffy. That'll be me. It'll be mm. me up on screen going, well, at least Chris lasted longer than I did. And then when everybody <laughs>, laughs, I'm going to say, that's going to be awkward if Chris actually died. <laughs> Tape the new version of this. Like I'm going to do that kind of shit and just fuck with the audience. Hey, mom, dad, be good like, to see you. Wait, yeah, hey, you could be like James Halliday in Ready Player One. I didn't finish that movie all two times. I tried. It's uh, he uh, he actually upon his death he uh, opened up this Easter egg hunt uh, to find. Uh, the the key to the Oasis, his virtual reality game, mm-hmm. and whoever gets that basically owns the world because it's like a multi-trillion dollar. Yeah. Thing. All right. I don't think I'm going to go that far. <laughs> I might do like a look whoever, under your, whoever, whoever look gets under your seat. Cinema <laughs> <laughs> one, of was, you, uh, one of you has something taped under your chair. I don't know. You're Spielberg. You don't have to make concessions to the book. You can make the book. Make the book. Steven. Spielbergo. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I sure hope he gives us one more big home run. Wouldn't that be nice? That would be very nice. I don't know what he's got left in his arsenal, though. It's been a while since there's been a big old home run. I mean, his Mm -hmm. first half of his career was basically all home runs. And, you know, no one could keep that up. I'm not dogging on the man. I'm just saying, you know, if we're looking for the last home run and we're going to, we're going to look at like minority report. Right. Yeah. And I think he's either, he's either getting obsessed with story or he's getting obsessed with uh, technology. So like if you, if you get the Spielberg that's obsessed with technology, you get ready player one. If you get the one that's obsessed with story at the expense of other things, it would be war horse. Right. Yeah. I mean, Lincoln's Lincoln's pretty good, but there are the post or the post. The post is ever find, yeah, going for the post is perfectly average. Uh, you know, I just don't ever find myself going, man. I really want to watch Lincoln again. Yeah, right. <laughs> Actually, nope. yeah, I've only seen Lincoln once. Yeah, and that was plenty of times. Daniel Day won the Oscar. He sure did.
And he was, yeah, he was, he was probably worthy. Anytime mm-hmm. he he dials it up, anytime he gets in the batter's box, he's going to be all right. Do you think these championships will be asterisks? No, I but so. I don't think people will care. I mean, maybe they'll be literally asterisks, but like, I don't think anyone's going to treat them. I don't think anyone looks at the Lakers as like. I don't think anyone holds last year's championship by the Lakers the same as any other championship. It's just, it's not. Yeah, just think public perception is going to say these championships were won under some very weird circumstances. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I don't think the Lakers, I don't, I mean, it, it's, they did their best to show that it looked like the same as any other ones, but it wasn't, it wasn't half the yeah. team wasn't even invited to the last, what, 16 game of the season. <laughs> Yeah, before the playoffs. So no, I mean it, it, the Lakers are probably going to win the championship anyway, and I think that's why they get validated as being like the true champs. But if like the Pistons had come out of nowhere and won it, like yeah. it, it would be nobody saying like they're the true champions. You right. also have to include the fact that the that Golden State didn't have any of their players, and they were the you know I mean they if if Golden State ever gets healthy again. It's going to be a juggernaut again, but I don't know if they will. I mean, they're right now, they're kind of, you know, what's, uh, are they even close to getting healthy again? No, I mean, they're, I think they're fine. I think they're an average team, but Clay Thompson's out for the year again. Well, that's the problem. Yeah. They need, they need Clay Thompson. They do. Um, but, uh, yeah, the only, the only thing interesting for me was just the fact that LA and Tampa Bay were vying for championships. Uh, like there was just a back and forth, like, Tampa Bay Lightning won, and then the Lakers won, and then there was a battle to see who, which city would be the primo <laughs> uh, when the Dodgers played the Tampa Bay Rays. And uh, and then and so the Dodgers took that, and it's two to one. And who knows? Who knows? Maybe the Tampa Bay Bucks. No, they're not. They're not. <laughs> uh, but, man, it, it, Tampa just seemed really cramped and and – I don't know, just sprawled all it's cramped and sprawled. Is that even possible? <laughs> um, uh, spramped. Yeah. Spramped. Spramped is right. Um, oh uh, God. I just spramped in my pants. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I'll leave you guys to know, to figure out what that means. Okay. So it, uh, it's briefly, uh, uh, two quick segues in terms of fresh seafood. I learned only recently because I saw a bunch of king crab legs at the store the other day and wanted to eat them. That king crab is um it's flash cooked on, at the harbor mm-hmm. right after it gets off the boat. Otherwise, it would rot. And yep. so you're only you only have to steam that shit to cook it. You don't actually have to cook it, which is a miracle. I can do that. But also speaking of king crab, I just learned literally 30 minutes before this podcast that there is a deadliest catch video game that came out last year where you get to captain your own ship and put your pots in the sea wherever you want and oh, be a shit. deckhand. And I'm going to lose so many fucking hours to this game. Um, oh, oh anyway, I like that. that. <clears throat> I don't even watch that show that much, but I could get into that. And I can, I, if I put it on that show, I'll lose six hours before I change the channel. Cause and I it's used, every episode's the same, but I love it. <laughs> I used to watch it all the time. Uh, but yeah, the sameness does get to you after a while. Um, uh, I watched maybe one or two seasons in full. And I even have my, uh, uh, I have my, uh, what do you call them these days? DVR. Um, DVR um, set up to record them 
And so though every like, you know, spring I'll start seeing deadliest catches show up on my DVR and I'm like, Oh yeah, new season. And I watch one episode and I'm like, Oh man, that's going to be weird for that crew. And then I just stop. (laughs) Um, because it's always the same thing. I think they heighten a lot of things just like any reality show does, you know, like the truth of the matter of like a lot of these, uh, the, the dynamic on these boats and everything is probably well beyond what they're, well, it's like, it's probably way different from what they're portraying and everything. They yeah. always, they always have the greenhorn Who's like a fuck up, like always a fuck up. Like it's like, this is going to be tough for the greenhorns. Like, you know, uh, was it Mike Rowe? Who's got that yeah. narration. He's like, yeah. this is going to be tough for the greenhorns who have to, who have to stay up for 72 hours straight. <laughs> and, you know, and it's always a guy who's like, you know, who, who, who's sleeping like five minutes late in, in everything. And, <laughs> They're like, and, and they're like, we're going to have to get that greenhorn out of here, man, because you, he's, uh, he's not, he's not coming up to the deck when he's supposed to and bullshit like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's amazing when they finally pull out the pots and you, and you're like, Oh my God, is this going to be a big one? Is this- <laughs> <laughs> no whammies, no whammies stuff. No whammies, no whammies. <laughs> wow. Um, so yeah, you get to you get to oh yeah, he the captain was right to go to that one place that nobody else was going to. That was great. Uh and then most of the time though, it's like, yeah, there was a reason why nobody went to that place. <laughs> <laughs> that video game apparently is on PS4 and Switch. So it is. And it's on you can get it on Xbox or PC. I'm all over this shit. I actually said to my wife this morning, I wonder if there's a deadliest catch style crab fishing game. Because we have a nephew that loves those uh, super realistic farming simulation games. Yeah. Uh, um, and I was like, I wonder if there's a game like that, but for crab fishing. And then I went and googled, googled, googled. Yes, official Deadliest Catch game. And, uh, I'm going to be doing that tonight. Did you get those uh, crab legs? Those uh, king crabs? No, because I did not know how to cook them when I was in the store. And then I got home and found out how to cook them. So I will be doing that. And then also, I've never... A friend of mine made a rib roast for um, Christmas, and I've never I've never made one in my life. And uh, it's time that I make some prime rib. So there you go. I'll uh, send you my recipe. It was amazing. You got a recipe, huh? I thought I I was told just to rub some basic spices on there and leave it in the oven for a long time. Okay, that's a recipe. Okay, but then but then you also have to make an agir. And you have to make some some horseradish sauce, and yeah, basically you know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> the the other thing about Deadliest Catch that they do is they'll be like, I don't know if they'll be able to make their qu- quota, and and then like by the end of it, I guess they've made their quota because there's they hardly ever have this situation at the end where they're weighing their crab at the end. Right. And going, oh, I totally fucked up. I didn't get my quota this year. Like, oh, no, they don't really go never, into that. Never happens, but that's always a thing. That's a thread through one of these boats' uh, seasons. Is oh man, they're just they keep coming up with empties. Oh my god, empty, empty, empty. And it's like, well, I don't know if I'll be able to make my quota this year. I don't even know if I'll be able to pay for the boat and all this other stuff. Then by the end of the season, somehow magically they've got all the the crab that they need. Okay, so here's what I think happens. <clears throat> because in my research about the king crab and how it's already cooked, I also learned <clears throat> the history of king crab and that mm-hmm. in in 1980 
81 ish. Uh, they brought up so much crab that they literally killed the industry the next year because they oversaturated the market. There was a time, gentlemen, in the late 70s where king crab was cheap and everywhere. Oh, and yeah. It was what poor people ate when they couldn't afford lobster. Wow. But after they devastated the industry, they came in and decided to uh, fish sustainably. And so now the entire fleet has a limit and they're all competing for the largest share of that full limit. But they also have bosses who own the boat who tell them, here's your quota. So what I think happens is Discovery comes in and says, anybody on the show that doesn't make their quota, we pay cash value to the owner of the boat to make it up. And we want these people to be the captain of the boat next year because they're starting mm. our reality show. Okay. I think that's mm. what happened. And they just gloss over it. And they just say, all right, screw it. There was, <laughs> I guess there, were, quota. there was one season where uh, I think it was uh, Brad, the guy who was uh, underneath uh, one of the other captains and got his own boat. Uh, he goes out and he and he doesn't, he's still kind of, you know, green on the whole thing. He does uh, the whole captaining thing. And like uh, one season, he doesn't know where to go at all. He knows like maybe a couple of places, but he's like, you know what? I'm going to try this one spot that worked for this captain five years ago or something like that. And so he goes out there and like every pot they pull up has nothing in it. Zero. (laughs) And, uh, and, and then it's like three episodes later. And of course, three episodes later later could be an hour later for, for these, you know, the way these things are. But like they keep on turning up empties and then they'll be like, uh, now it's time for Captain Jake to co- it's Jake is his name. They're going to try to call Cap- Captain Jake needs to call one of his old captains to see what he can do about his, his uh, crab catch. And so he calls the captain and the cat, the cap, the captain he calls, they're always surly and always like, you want to know where crab is all of a sudden? You're, you're the captain of your own boat. Blah, 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 blah. God, they're such assholes, man. They're such fucking assholes. Uh, and they're like, okay, well, I'll help you out. Come out here and we'll, we'll team up or whatever. And so they team up and inevitably the, the young captain always fucks something up that pisses off the old captain, you know, and it was just whatever. I don't know. Yeah. I think you're right. I think that's what happens. I think the, the show goes over and buys, buys out the, the quota or whatever that they didn't get. You sons of bitches. I was telling uh, telling Barrett before you got on that I went to the doctor. It was like a follow up thing today, and uh, doctor goes, uh, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have that uh, COVID vaccine or whatever." And I was like, uh, "Sign me up! Give me, give me it! Give me, give me, give me!" Yeah. And um, and she says, "Well, you know, you might be able to. Hey, you're probably around tier three or whatever it is. I don't know." Uh, but then she proceeds to say that people on tier one. Uh, that the, they're asking first, like the old people who, mm-hmm. you know, and all that, a lot of them are saying no to the vaccine. Son of a bitch. And I'm just like, oh. I mean, it means other people who want it are going to get it faster, but it also means there's going to be a bunch of fuckholes out there who are like, you know, um, going out there without vaccines and stuff like that and continuing the spread amongst other people. And right. Well, and then even when you're vaccinated, I'm trying to talk with my wife about reasonable expectations for getting back to normal. Even once we're vaccinated, there's still the possibility that we could carry the disease and infect somebody else, even though we ourselves don't get sick. 
And so, I mean, it's going to be a lot longer than I think people are thinking. I think now that I there's mean, a vaccine, people are like, oh, in March, I'm going to be able to hug my family. And I'm like, oh, let's look more at November. Yeah. I mean, I'm still, I'm still going to be going out with masks. I mean, you have to pretty much, but yeah. um, I'm still going to go out with masks and stuff like that. But the important thing is, is that I can go out to places. I can go out and uh you know experience maybe a restaurant or something like that yeah you rub and get rub and tug yeah rub and tug yeah man i miss those and, and a lot i feel of like there's a rub and tug right uh maybe a hundred yards from our resort there's a thing that says massage and when it says just massage mm-hmm. i think that's a that's a handy handy you're place. probably right it's kind of like when uh, the one that that one place that was on Eighth uh, Avenue for a long time it was yeah, like yeah, parking yeah. in rear and all that. Yeah, bullshit. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was I like, never I went there. I feel bad about it. And uh, should should have gone while it went. To take advantage of it while it was there, or something. Yeah, like and he's that. like, Schwa! <laughs> make and the Schwa!" Like, he's like, "I gotta make sure." Yeah, I gotta make sure that they know that it's Schwa's. <laughs> Schwa's. Yeah.